Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Svedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Hey everybody, this is Marnie Sledberg. Welcome to another edition of Marnie's Friends. And today we are going to be talking to parents, grandparents, teachers, friends, aunts and uncles, and everybody who has a teen or kid in their life who is busy with media. And there's a lot of media going on with kids today. And our guest today, Arlene Pelican, is the perfect person to talk to us about this. During the next hour, you're going to come to understand how increased screen time can threaten the emotional and educational development of a child how a parent can tell if your child is spending too much screen time, how screen time impacts a child's brain stimulation and when it can become an addiction, how parents are actively involved in their child's social media life, the age at which a parent should allow their child privacy regarding technology and social media sites, how to address the bright, shiny object syndrome as it applies to the latest technologies and gadgets, including cell phones, how screen time impacts the child's emotions and how to prevent your kids from spending more time with their devices than with people, advice for busy parents who want to monitor screen time but aren't physically present to do so, some ways you can model best practices in your own life, advice for parents of older children who resist screen time limitations, and ideas for family activities to do that don't include gadgets or screen time. And our guest today, Arlene Pelicane, is a speaker and multi-book author whose background includes being the associate producer for Turning Point Television. She's earned her BA from Biola University and her master's in journalism from Regents University. She lives in San Diego with her husband, James, and their three young children, and she's here to share with us about media-minded kids. Welcome, Arlene. Thanks for having me, Marnie. And you have a new book out with Dr. Chapman. Tell us about that. Yes, it's a wonderful resource for parents and grandparents. It's called Growing Up Social, Raising Relational Kids in a Screen-Driven World. And the cover says it all. It's got two little kids all dressed up like they're there for a romantic dinner with a white tablecloth, but both of them are heads down with their little phones. And so (laughs) when you have your kids, you know, you think to yourself, I don't want them to grow up into these adults who don't know how to communicate and do the most, uh, you know, normal things that we would think is normal. You know, it used to be that a kid would would meet you and say, oh, hello, Mrs. Marnie, it's nice to meet you, and that would be very simple and very standard. But today, a lot of times when you're introduced to a child, their head is down, they're looking at their screen, oh, I'm sorry, you know, they're shy, and they don't really talk much. And what we're trying to do in this book is uh, not, it's not an anti-technology book, but it is a pro-people book of how can we get our kids to be more relational and how can we help them to have emotional skills that will really get them through life successfully. And you're really talking about how screen time can threaten the emotional and educational development of a child in that, you know, this is having an effect on them. 
Yeah, it certainly is. You know, if you ask any teacher today, is it easier to keep the attention of your children today or, you know, 15 years ago? And most likely they'll say 15 years ago because today we've For got sure. to have a lot of entertainment and we've got to wow them and dazzle them and change everything every few seconds or the kids tune out and they're bored. And in the book Growing Up Social, we talk about five A-plus emotional skills that your child needs. And um, I'll go through them quickly and then we'll yeah. talk about just how screen time could threaten one of them. Uh, one of them is anger management. Can your child uh, manage their anger well? The second, another one is apology. Does your know how, child know how to say sorry and not just like a text, sorry, you know? Um, affection, yeah. can your child give and receive love? Appreciation, is your child a grateful child or are they an entitled, I want it now, I want it faster? And then lastly, can your child pay attention? And, you know, in at school, which is where our kids will kind of meet their first challenges, one of the main things they can do to, to succeed is pay attention. You know, sit there, be able to listen, to be able to understand, to have the self-control, to sit in a chair, you know, and listen. And screens, you know, fight against that because what does the screen world offer? a child. Always exciting, right? It's like, oh, if this is boring, that's okay. You can change the channel. You've got five other options. Oh, you're playing this video game? Oh, you're going to be rewarded right away and frequently, and you're going to get to the next level, and you're going to play another game if you don't like this game. If you're in a restaurant, well, it's got to be catered just for the child. When you're at home, it spills into that. One child wants macaroni. One child wants sauce. One child doesn't want sauce. And the screen time teaches them that whatever you want, you can have it. And if you're if you don't get it, you may throw a fit. You know, our kids just aren't used to having to pay attention and to be bored because the screen times teach them that instant gratification. So if you want your child to have that emotional metal to be able to say, Okay, I can pay attention, I can have self control, I can do this task even though I don't feel like it. I can finish my homework even though it doesn't thrill me, you know. For your child to do that, they need to be able to do things without a screen, to experience things in real life, and that will really help them pay attention, and reading is a key to that. Mm-hmm. How does a parent tell if their kids are spending too much time with screens? Yeah, besides them saying, I told you to turn that off. You have five more yeah. minutes. <laughs> if, you, if you don't turn that off, if you don't give that back to mommy, you're going to get a discipline. You know, So all of us as parents know that feeling right. like, oh, man, I cannot get this child to put down their video game or to stop watching TV because, of course, one show rolls into the next show, which rolls into the next show. So uh, we do okay. have a quiz in the book, Growing Up Social, um, how you can tell if your child is getting too much screen time. And I'll give you a, a few of those. Uh, these would be questions you can ask yourself now. And, you know, it's funny. You can ask them about yourself and your spouse as well. So your child is upset when you ask him to stop his screen activity to come to dinner or another activity. Your child has trouble completing his homework because he's busy watching TV or playing video games. Your child refuses to help with chores around the house, choosing instead to play with screens. Your child does not get 60 minutes of physical activity each day. Your child does not give frequent eye contact to others in the home. So those are a few to get you started in your mind, and there are more in the book and also online at ArlenePelicane.com. But there are there are those points. You know, I, I know families who have had to... Uh, cancel camping trips, you know, come home early because their child said, 
I'm bored, I need Wi-Fi, I want to go home. And after a few days of this, the parents are thinking, man, anything is better than this child complaining about this. And so that would be a huge clue that your child is getting too much screen time, that they're so dependent on it. So you really do want to watch for those clues. Another clue would be, let's say you have a child who loves riding their scooter around the neighborhood or, or riding their bike on Saturdays. But all of a sudden, when you say, okay, let's go, they say, oh, I'd rather stay home and they're playing their video games or watching TV instead, that's another clue like, wait a minute, my child's getting too much screen time because they're choosing it over other activities that they normally would have liked. That kind of leads us into the next part about, you know, where it transfers from something that they sometimes do into more of the addiction, (laughs) the realm of an addiction, which actually this is is really becoming a huge issue in our culture. Uh, kids, Kids are no longer just, doing a little bit of screen time now it's becoming like you said i can't cope if i don't do that and it it actually is triggering uh it's stimulating a child's brain in the same way as, as other addictions do isn't it it really is so that's what is amazing because you know obviously we would never give our child drugs and and say oh you know just a little bit is fine and and i'm not saying video games is the same as that it's not but that all that time online, it does do something to the brain. You know, they get that hit of dopamine of, oh, this is pleasurable. This is fun. I was just rewarded. I like this. And they get used to that, and that ends up, uh, you know, when it comes to competing for their time, they say, I'd rather do that than anything else. And, you know, people who design video games are not thinking to themselves, how can we get a child just to play for half an hour? You know, (laughs) they're thinking they're designing the whole thing. So your child will want more, more. They'll want to get to higher levels. They'll want to play with more people. They'll want to get a harder game, a more aggressive game, perhaps a more violent game. And all of those things are, of course, in the mix. So you as a parent have to think, wait a minute, if I see that my child is acting in a way that I don't like, let me trace that to how much screen time are they getting and what are they doing on screens. Because as a child is is, uh, on the screens more and more, they're brains are going to become more dependent on that. They did a, a survey. They did a, tried to do some research with a 1,000 young people from 10 different countries taking away their cell phones just for one day. And many of the people could not do it. They came back after a few hours and said, I have to have my phone. It's like crack. I feel like, a, like I'm addicted to it. And when asked, why do you need it so much? They said, it's my source of comfort and connection. And so that, that wow. feeling of, if I don't have my phone and this digital connection, I'm not connected to anyone, and I am not comfortable. And so we as parents have to say, wait a minute, sure, technology is great, but my child should be able to feel comfortable in our presence that they don't have to have their phone. There are you know, um, countries that are further along, Taiwan, Korea, China, where more kids are, are further along, and they have what's called Internet use disorder. Up to 30% of their young people diagnosed with this. And what this means is they need at least 38 hours a week or more of gaming, being online. I mean, that is a full-time job. Um, so 38 hours a week or more, and they have the loss of other interests, things that they used to do they don't do anymore. You know, they hygiene's kind of out the window. And then they have this high tolerance where a thrill on Tuesday is no longer a thrill on Friday. So if they play longer or play different, you know, those kinds of things. And so we as parents don't want our children to grow up into teenagers who grow up into adults 
who have to have a certain amount of time gaming in order to feel okay and in order to feel that pleasure. And so these things, I, I, I'm really saddened when I see really young kids, you know, five-year-olds, six-year-olds oh. already playing hours and hours a day because you just right. think of, my goodness, if they're playing so early, so young, you know, how what's that going to mean when they're teenagers? And I applaud. I've got a kindergartner. And, you know, it, it's kind of uncommon that there's a myself and a few other moms that that our children don't play video games, you know. And so I try to tell these moms, you know, be strong, like it's okay, because there's so much pressure, even as a five-year-old, to be playing video games all the time like your friends. And so we've got to realize that that's going to impact their, their brain and how they learn and that it is very addicting. It's just huge. And it's just getting bigger. Um, my, I was just telling her. New Orleans, before we started the show, my son Tim just did a, his paper for college on on the addiction and on the gaming industry, and it's just growing exponentially. Yeah. This thing is not going away. It's going to get bigger. <laughs> it's going to yes. impact your family and your children more, your grandchildren more. So we're going to come right back uh, with Arlene and talk about how parents can actively be involved in their children's social media life, in their screen life. We'll be right back. Christian Women's Events. At womensevents.info, you can find events to attend. Learn how to plan amazing events for your group or publicize your own upcoming Christian Women's Events. It's all available to you at womensevents.info. Just click your state to find all the major women's events coming to your area or type in the month and year you'd like to attend an event to see all your options nationwide. It's that easy. If you want to promote an event, just click Add Event. Event publicity is available on a per-event basis or free to members. Finally, if you want to learn how to host awesome events, retreats, and well-attended conferences, click Event Planner Training. Once again, it's available a la carte or included in the membership. It's all online and here for you 24-7 anytime you have time at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Money troubles got you down? Visit www.godlywealth.com to discover the fastest way to financial peace. You'll gain perspective, biblical training, and clear direction to help you move from terrified to triumphant. It's all free and available to you online at www.godlywealth.com. Not only will you learn a balanced, godly perspective about money, but you'll also enjoy scripture set to music, a wealth roster worksheet, and much more, all free and online at www.godlywealth.com. That's www.godlywealth.com. Welcome back. This is Marty and our guest today, Elaine, Arlene Pelican of ArlenePelican.com. We're talking about media-minded kids and how to parent them and be actively involved in their social media and gaming lives. Um, Arlene, as we go forward, let's talk about um, the role of a parent with all of this. I think a lot of parents are really confused about you know, once they, the child has a phone or once the child has a computer, you know, what, what should my role be? Yeah, and and you know what? Some teenagers will say like, oh, please, 
but I don't I don't want my parents on my social media site. And you know you can't blame them because of course as a teenager you want to think that you're out there and you don't want to think, oh my mother is, is looking over my shoulder. Um so I would say the best thing if you have young kids is to if you're already very much a part of their social life and of their media life, it's a much easier transition to go into those teen years and say, Okay, these are the parameters, these are the rules. It's a little harder to, to start this, you know, and you've got a sixteen year old at home and then how do I enter this world? So let me answer the question if your children are younger, and then I'll answer it if your children are older. I think yeah. it, when when you're early on, so I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 5-year-old. You know, they don't have phones. They obviously don't are not on social media. But we'll talk about it. You know, Mommy has a Facebook account. Mommy has a Twitter account. This is what they do. This is what it means. And uh, when you are 13 years old, you're allowed to have one of these. But when that time comes, we're going to talk about it. We're going to see, like, what are the benefits? What are the negatives? And really have that conversation with your children so it's not just a no, you can't, or yes, do anything you want, you know, because both answers are, are, are not that great. So to be able to say, you know, this is how we're going to do it and let them know early on, when you start doing social media, I'm going to be there and I'm going to see everything you post. And if the, if things are happening appropriately, if you're not bullying people, if you're not being bullied yourself, then we can keep doing this. But if something happens and, you know, we're either you're on it too much and we can't control that or what's being said is not helpful to your character, then we're going to take you off and just have these conversations really early so then there's not this big surprise of, wait a minute, why is my mom so nosy in my social media site? Another thing to try is to try one site at a time. So if for instance, when your child starts, not to start them on Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, all at once. Let them do one. You pick, and most likely they'll pick the platform that most of their friends are using. So they, they'll pick one. And you'll say, you know what, we're going to do this for a month. And then after a month, we're going to go out to ice cream and we're going to talk about how is this working. And let them prove that they're responsible in different places before you open up the door and say, okay, let's go to all these different places. Because obviously, it's a lot easier to check in and monitor one site as a parent than it is to check every, you know, there's not a parent that's going to check all five social media sites every day to see what their child is doing. But you'll know from your children, because some children may be very responsible with it and it works really well and then other children it's just hard for them to control and they might be on it all the time and you realize what in the world have I created for your older kids that are already on the social media sites you know it may come as a form of an apology that instead of a parent saying okay I was wrong I'm, I'm pulling you out off of these sites you know instead of that to say you know what honey I I don't know much about social media, so I've kind of just let you do whatever, and, and I am sorry about that because I want to be more involved and I want to help you as much as I can. So I'm going to do a little bit of research on these different sites because a lot of times we as parents don't know. It's like we don't know how to use Snapchat or whatever it is that our child is using. So we've got to Google these things and learn about them and then perhaps ask another parent who's a little more tech savvy than we are and ask them, what is this site and what can you do and how can you check up on this? And, you know, ask around because I'm sure you have a friend who knows more about it. And then talk to your teenager and say, you know, I'm sorry that I haven't been as involved. I'm sure you probably don't want me poking around your sites, but I do want you to know that I am signing up for these sites, and I, I promise not to embarrass you. I promise not to post on your social media things in order to embarrass you, but I just want to know more of what's happening in your life, and, and sometimes me looking 
you know, we might not talk about it at home, but I might read something and it'll help me understand you better. So for that parent really to frame it as, I'm not here to spy on you, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to be a part of your life and I care about you. Yeah. I think, you know, we, we feel comfortable as parents saying, no, you can't go to that party because we know what's going to happen there. That's not good for you. And yeah. it is really the same thing. I always describe social media as an online party. And yeah. you, you come into someone else's conversation, you join in with that conversation, and you really are at their party. And mm-hmm. you don't get to decide what happens at that party. But you do right. decide whether you're going to stay and participate or whether you're going to leave. And That's I think right. for kids, you know, for kids to have that understanding that this is just like an, a party, but it's online, and we are going to have some rules about where you go and who you hang out with a lot of your hours. And uh, it, it's really uncomfortable as a parent, though, because it's very, um, it's not physical. It's in the you know it's in the realm of the digital, and yeah. so it it makes it it makes it feel very intrusive for a parent. Do you have words of comfort for the parent that hasn't been involved with this yet, and now they want to get involved? Yeah, and I would say to start small and not to be so discouraged because I know you might start and then think this is overwhelming. Like who can keep up with all this? And I don't even know what to click on and how to start. And so then you kind of give up. Like I guess I don't understand technology. And so just pick one social media site that your child is on and try to learn it. So if your child is using Facebook or your child is using Twitter or Instagram, just learn one and find out about it, figure out how it works and get help. Like if you can't figure it out on your own, have someone help you and just keep it basic and and just do one thing at a time so that you can kind of be involved in that part of your child's life. And you know what? Really to frame it as it's not something you'd be interested in yourself. Like you wouldn't just on your own say, well, let me learn the social media site and let me spend my time doing this. But you do it because you care about your child and you love your child and you know your child is at that party a lot. So you want to figure out a little bit about what's going on there. Yeah. And it, it is in that way. It's kind of like a sport. Um, if your child goes into a sport yeah. you're not familiar with, you'll learn the rules of the sport just so that you can go and cheer them on and, and help them to succeed yeah. in that area. And it is much the same, isn't it? Well, it is. Mike, what is what is an age <laughs> that uh, that you should start kind of backing that off? You know, I always think of, I always think of the parenting spectrum and, you know, with, with children, you know, if you do a V, like a sideways V maybe, yeah. I always say with God, um, he has parents come into a baby's life when the baby is completely dependent, and right. the goal is to build the child up to independence. Whereas with God, we come into God as completely independent of him. We don't even care about him. We really <laughs> would rather sin. And then we've come to know him and we grow independent. So it's exactly the opposite uh, the opposite thing going on there. As we mature with Christ, we become more dependent on him. But as parents, we want our children to be more independent of us, more dependent mm-hmm. on Christ. So yeah. as we're going forward and they are learning about these social medias, like and it would be different for every child, but where's like where's like the ballpark where you start to release some of this control and uh, supervision? Yeah, and of course, like you said, every child's going to be different. There will be a senior in high school that you know, man, if I, I got to keep tabs on this one. <laughs> and then there might be a freshman who you say, wow, this child is really responsible. They're doing really well. So, so there is certainly that. But you know what I would encourage in terms of privacy 
you know, it used to be that if a child wanted something to be private, you know, it would be like in their diary. And that would be something special just for them that you would not want to just go in and read, that that would feel like an invasion of privacy, really almost at any age, you know, that that's their personal diary and where they wrote things down. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the kids don't have the diary on paper just for themselves. Now it's out there on social media, but it's not private at all. Like anyone could read it. Your friend, an acquaintance from band could read your most intimate thoughts because you posted them online. So in that sense, it kind of shatters this idea that a parent is invading a child's privacy because if they are going to post something online for anyone, any friend to see, then I certainly think it's fine for a parent to go into that account and read whatever that child is is saying. For a phone, that becomes a little more, okay, can my uh, mom or dad read my texts? And to be honest with you, I feel like as long as the mom or dad is paying the bill for that phone, I think that parent has the right to say, hey, from time to time, I'm going to see who you're calling. and and, And the thing is, you know, you can make this I don't know, you'd want to make it more fun and not so punitive, you know, but more like a, hey, I'm paying for the phone, so just I would just want you to know that I'd like to know who are the people that you text so I know who your friends are. And I'd like to know, you know, what are the, con, you know, what kinds of things are you saying because if you're not saying really positive things that I'm going to stop paying for that phone because I'm not going to pay for you to talk trash to all your friends. And I think that is an okay thing to do even if you have an 18-year-old and you're paying for that phone bill. I, I mean, I have so many parents who say, my goodness, the Holy Spirit told me, go look at your child's phone. And I looked at the phone, and my seventh grader apparently has a boyfriend that I didn't know about, you know. And then you can have these conversations. So I do think that that is still fair game. But, of course, I do think the important attitude is I am not here to just, you know, ruin your party, but I am here to guide you, to to help you. And, and there are mistakes our children have to make. We cannot save them from every single mistake. But I do believe the Holy Spirit talks to us like he did to that mom to say, check the phone. And then you see, oh, my goodness, my child has this boyfriend I didn't even know. That those are things that a parent should know. Yeah. Yeah, and and there there are seasons when God gives us those types of um, control mechanisms, whereas there yeah. are seasons when they are no longer in our control. That when a child yeah. goes away from home or whatever, then they're, they are not in our control anymore. There's a short season where we have the ability. And I like to I like to bring it back to that you are actually, with your actions and with the things that you are valuing, you are actually training, you, you're training your, um, your values. And mm-hmm. yes, okay, so the child feels infringed on that you look at the phone or whatever, but you're saying to them, sweetheart, when you talk like this, even on texting, when, you, when you're communicating like this, it is hurting your soul. It is not healthy for you. It's not good for the person you're talking to. And that's what my problem is. My problem yeah, isn't that you're using your phone. My problem is what you're saying, what you're and it can be, And it can even be used in a positive way that a parent could say, wow, you know, I really 
you're using your phone really well. You're texting information. I'm going to be out here. I'm going to do it. It's really great. You're keeping up with your friends. I can tell that you're not negative. You're the kind of friend that people would be around, and you're doing a great job. Like, we always think it's bad, but it could be good that they're doing a good job well, on social media or well, a good job on the, on the phone. And and that is good to point out if you have um, – because the, the child, your child will want to do more of that, the things that you're praising. And so if you see them, even if it's this minuscule thing, show some little glimpse of responsibility in their screen use, you know, to go ahead and praise that and say, good job, that was really well done. Oh, absolutely. And I know young people who are uh, uh, sharing in their texts and they're tweeting out yeah. their Bible verse of the day. And, I mean, there are kids that are using this really in a godly manner as a yeah. as an evangelistic tool. I mean, there's all kinds of great stuff going on. So yeah. definitely if your child is, you know, uh, one of the kids that has that in their heart, or if you are doing that with your text, <laughs> obviously if you're doing it with your phone, that's a great way to start uh, by being an example of that. But yeah. definitely for sure. And then and then if they aren't, uh, and I think the main thing here is to just, it's no different. And I think that's the thing, that it feels different from us to us but it is no different than the other safeguards that you build in your child's life. This yes. is no different. It's just in a different sphere. It's, That's right. You, you know, so we just have to treat it like it's the same as should you go to that party or should you yeah. have that friend over or whatever. It's the same right. thing. You would not. You, today. Go ahead. You wouldn't send your seven-year-old to the mall and say, you know, have a good time. But I've seen people give their, you know, give cell phones to their seven-year-olds and think that they know what to do with that. So, oh, right, and it's just everything at our fingertips right now. And you know, I yeah. did enough research earlier on uh, when I was, you know, doing research on different things, and you could even type in just a very simple, like a word that a child would type in. Um, you know, just like a little animal, baby animal, and you right. can get a porn site just that fast. I mean, it's yeah. tragic, but it is what the world we live in, and you just can't shut your eyes and walk away from this. Well, this is Marnie Fleberg. We're visiting today with Arlene Pelican. We're going to come right back and talk about how to address the bright, shiny object syndrome. We'll be back. What's your next step? Are you tired of scouring the Internet to find the training you need to take you from where you are today to where you want to be? Stop searching and start moving towards your goals with over 150 targeted training modules available to you at Marnie.com. You can learn how to speak, how to write, how to get published, how to get media coverage, and so much more, all available at Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E.com. Do you lead a women's Bible study or know someone who does? Check out BibleStudyExpo.com. That's www.BibleStudyExpo.com. Here you'll meet the authors of the most recently released Bible study books for women. You'll meet Liz Curtis Higgs, Lisa Bevere, Pam Farrell, Elisa Morgan, and dozens of other Bible study book authors. Each author is given 15 minutes to share the story behind her book, her ideal audience, and a little bit about the study's format so you can decide which Bible studies you want to introduce next. It's all available to you free and online at www.biblestudyexpo.com. That's www.biblestudyexpo.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie, and we're talking today about media-minded kids. Our guest, Arlene Pelican, is a co-author with Dr. Chapman of Growing Up Social. Arlene, let's dive right into the bright, shiny object syndrome. First of all, explain what it is, and then tell us um, how 
how we can be aware of it with our kids and what we can do to help them. Sure. You know, you know the child that comes home and they say, I saw this, you know, so-and-so has a phone or so-and-so's got a new iPad or this video game is so amazing and your child's eyes are as big as saucers and they want one too. And, you know, this isn't just for kids, it's for adults also. And I think when our kids are so bombarded with advertisements, they're watching television, they're seeing advertisements for new things that they never knew they wanted, but now they know they want them. And they're seeing them in the backpacks of the other children and at people's houses. And I think it's very important, even from a really young age, to ask the question, well, tell me, why do you need that object? And let them kind of realize, okay, this is not a need in my life. This is a want. You know, this is something I want. And let them understand there's a difference. If there's something you need, we will go buy it or do our best to buy it. But if it's something you want, then we can wait and make sure that you still want this in three months. And that's, of course, very, uh, you know, countercultural to what's around us is we want it now. Like whatever we want, we want it now. And one of the emotional traits you want your child to have is appreciation to be able to appreciate what they have. And if they get every bright, shiny object when they want it, they will not appreciate it, nor will they take really good care of it. So those good good old-fashioned words, delayed gratification, they may not be practiced very much today, but they are certainly needed to have kids that can delay their gratification and who can wait. And they could perhaps earn money to buy something so that they go 50-50 with you. Um, but that whole idea of delayed gratification is really important. I always joke with parents who feel that pressure to get the latest thing for their kids. And I show them my smartphone and I'll say, you know, I did not get this phone until I was in my 40s. And the reason was I kept coming home to my husband from speakers' conferences and saying, all the other ladies have smartphones, and I'm the only one with a flip phone. And he'd say, well, why, do you, why do you need it? I'd say, well, I want to I look like everybody else. And he's like, you're a stay-at-home mom author. Like, why do you need a smartphone and a new bill so that so you can be like everybody else? You know. So it was really humorous. So I had to prove to him and our family budget that when I was able to take credit cards at the back of the room, now that's something you're can do that something that you know that you actually need so that's when I got it and so I'll tell the kids you know what I had peer pressure too but I had to wait until I really needed it for something so uh so that's always a fun story for your teenager <laughs> that's great that's great you know when our kids were growing up um we had a rule that they could buy they had their they had their own money we never did allowance because I I just have this perspective that the only time as an adult you get an allowance is when you're on welfare and that's not yeah. something I wanted to build into my children's right. thought process. So right. we just had them do chores, and they got paid for the chores. So yeah. um, they could do extra chores and earn extra money, but they had to put away 50% of everything they got into a savings account. 10% went to God. So then they had 40% left that they right. could spend on anything reasonable that they wanted. But right. even in addition to all that, we had one yeah. more rule. If we go to the store today and you want something, you don't yeah. get to buy it today. You have to wait until the next time you go to the store, and then you can buy that item you wanted last time. But what they learned as children, and they still, they're all good money managers, what they learned as children was that when they went back to the store, they didn't ever hardly want that same thing again. They wanted something new. (laughs) You know, they they really came to grasp this bright, shiny object syndrome where you always want the newest thing that you see it's just it's just human nature and it's really important for us to train our kids somehow 
to recognize the difference between want and need. I love I love that, and I love your story. I think that's so funny and so great. Yeah. Well, how does uh, how does screen time impact a child's emotions? Well, you know, if you ask a family and they say, you know, what are your kids like, the environment like when they come off screens, like a lot of times they're whiny, they're kind of short, they're impatient. But you compare that to, like, let's say the family was just sitting down, everyone's reading books. Usually they come off that really pleasant and and kind of normal. (laughs) And so I know so many families, um, one family that they were saying they, they don't watch that much TV, you know, maybe a few hours a day, but they lost their remote control. And when they lost remote control, their kids who are toddlers, preschool or in like elementary school age they all went ballistic they went crazy and then the mom was like oh my goodness my kids are going crazy and she said fine this is crazy whether we find the remote or not you guys cannot watch television for one week because you guys are so crazy about it and you know during that week that they didn't have the tv immediately she noticed they argued less they were less demanding they were less whiny and I think any family who tries this that says, you know, let's try to have a digital-free day or a digital-free weekend or, you know, one hour or less a day and we set these limits, you'll find that, wow, my children are so much calmer, more amiable, uh, more agreeable because the screen time tends to make us demanding because we're just sitting there consuming what we want, getting what we want, and there's just something about it that if you get too much of it, it makes for really whiny children. And so emotionally, if your kids can do other things, it's much more constructive, and they're learning how to be with other people because that's the key thing. If your child is like an average child in America, age 8 to 18, that child is spending seven hours a day with some kind of screen media in front of a TV, on their phone, uh, using an iPad, seven hours a day. And if we are supposed to instill people skills into our children, learning to deal with people, how are they even going to have time to have people skills if they're spending seven hours a day, not with a person interacting, but with a screen? And how it dwarfs us emotionally. You know, I talked to a restaurant owner who said one of the huge changes was, you know, siblings always fight at the table. A brother or sister, they fight. That's normal. But it used to be that the brother and sister would have to work it out and make it up to each other and be able to go through the dinner, you know, and kind of be able to be there. But now they don't have to do that. They just get to play their video games. They just get a tablet out, a phone out, and all of a sudden the fight's over. Dinner's peaceful again, but that brother and sister never learned how to constructively manage their Mm -hmm. anger, how to figure things out. And so emotionally, you can imagine all the things that we should be learning by apologizing to people, getting angry, connecting, um, hugging people, showing them the love language of affection by touch. All those things can be lost because we're on screens, and so emotionally it does very much affect our children. Wow. The statistic that it's seven hours a day average is horrifying. Yeah. It's a, it means that if a person, a baby, was born today, by the time they were age seven, they would spend one full year in front of a screen, and that's of 24-hour days. So it's more than one-seventh of their life in front of a screen. And you just think, as a parent, my goodness, I I don't want my children to grow up that way. But we're not aware that, okay, we watched an hour before breakfast, and then we went in the car and they watched a DVD, and then we waited at a restaurant and they were on the tablet, and then they came home and they watched their favorite show, and then they did their computer game for math. you know, And then we don't realize, my goodness, all of that really does add up. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I just had a kind of an epiphany this week. You, I've been, since 1997, God really convicted me to take a day of rest every week. 
And yeah. that, that was in the Bible, and that was for me. <laughs> I didn't yeah. do that. And I've often, it's really tough. It's, it's really hard to, to cover yeah. out 24 hours a week to just rest. And uh, our culture, um, definitely my workload uh, doesn't make that easy. And I've been doing it very consistently for all these years. Well, I had gone 13 days without a rest, and I was just, Mm-hmm. I mean, by the time I got to Monday this week, I was a basket case. I was right. so exhausted because um, I do I do push pretty hard between between the different roles that I play. But what was interesting to me was when I take a rest every seventh day, mm-hmm. I am able to disconnect from work brain, from busyness brain, from computer brain, all of that, I'm able yeah. to disconnect fairly quickly. Like it just doesn't even take an hour in right. the morning of that day to realize that I don't need it today, today's the day of rest. Well, when I waited even just 13 days, it took me three to four hours to connect. And even mm. to the point when, on Monday when my husband was leaving, I actually followed him to the door almost like a, a little puppy dog. And I said, I said to him, as he was leaving, the emotion I had, and I verbalized it to him, I said, I, it's funny, but I really feel like the world can't spin today without me. Mm-hmm. And isn't that crazy that in 13 days yeah. I was so addicted already to the sense of being that needed to everything? Right. You know, and, and just God built in this thing for us that every seventh day we're supposed to disconnect from those things that could be addicting to us, whether yes. it's power or control or video games or whatever. Just to take that time off. And the longer we go without a break, the more difficult it is for us to break away, even Mm -hmm. just for a little while. And so I just encourage you listeners to build in a break and make it consistent where you are all of you, your whole family. And if you don't, um, the book seven is just a great, great book to help you to start to understand how to how to do these breaks just to just to take some breaks and start to shake it up a little bit mix it up a bit so that it's not just always of course I get to do this anytime I want to all the time you know what do you, what do you say to parents who can't be there to monitor their kids are their kids are like alone for certain periods of time during the day they aren't there to monitor what advice do you have for them yeah, and you know that what you had just said was this idea that we're not designed to be on twenty four seven. Like we're just not designed to be on alert and always reachable. We we need that rest, and our kids need it too. And so if you feel like, man, I want my kids to have that rest, but I can't be there all the time, and I don't know how much screen time they're having. You know, one of the ladies that I interviewed for the next book that's coming out, um, it's called Thirty One Days to Becoming a Happy Mom, and I interviewed Dr. Jennifer Degler, and one thing she had was what was called a Bob B O B timer. And basically you put it on whatever device. It could be a computer. It could be a, a TV. And so after a half an hour, it clicks off. Like you can't use the TV anymore. And so that's what she did is she put timers on her different screens. And it was really funny because her teenager, you know, of course did not like that, that, my goodness, after a half an hour and then this thing clicks off, it just drove him nuts. But he said to his mom, well, I hope when I'm older and I have kids, they still have this crazy device because I'm going to make my kids do it too, you know. So it is this idea that if you can somehow set a boundary where something either automatically shuts off or maybe you give your child a timer and that when it beeps, then that's their time to come off the game or come off the TV. And really, you can make that the norm. I know some people listen and they think, oh, that'll never work. My kid will just turn it off and then you know start again and they won't care about the timer. But perhaps if you invest the time early on to enforce it, 
really enforce it well when you see it, and then your child will get used to, okay, this is how this works, and then they'll be able to self-regulate themselves by using a timer or using a device like Bob. Because I think that's a really smart way to do it is to say, okay, there's a certain amount of time that you can have screen time that is content approved, and you don't have to feel guilty about it, and you can do it. But when the time's Mm -hmm. over, it's got to be over. And I I love that idea because I'm always I'm always encouraging uh, young moms to get out of the bad guy role as often as possible. So yeah. that's why I really love like chore charts or like right. the the mini plan for the week is up on the fridge, you know. So yeah. then you know when the kids are like when when you're when the kids are like um, uh, running around doing something else instead of the chores, you can say, "What does the chore chart say?" You know, it's not you right. Saying, and you know, so and that's chores, a great. It's the chore I, chart. And you can make a little screen time chart for your kids um, with the seven days and say whatever your goal is. So if your goal is one hour or less a day, you would just write, you know, one hour or less. And every time they do it on the days, they can check it off themselves that they did one hour or less. And then you can give them a dime for each check mark. You can go to ice cream when so many check marks are filled. So you can kind of make it something fun that they're going to work towards and that they will own themselves. Right, positive, and that's what I was thinking when you were talking about that too. Yeah. It's one it's one thing to have rules, but it's another thing to really be, you know, like at least four to one, and to go for ten to one that you are encouraging more than disciplining, and that's the goal in life with whether it's staff or children or friends or spouse or whoever. Yeah, uh, we shouldn't just always be communicating discipline. We should be in, communicating a lot of love and a lot of praise and encouragement to them also because otherwise it just gets to be really hopeless and, and no yeah. fun at all. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, this is Marnie Frederick, our guest today, Arlene Pelican. You can find her over at ArlenePelican.com. We're going to come back and talk about some ways you can model best practices in your own life for your kids. We'll be right back. Womenspeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit Womenspeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. Are you enjoying every single bite eating with God? If not, visit www.eatingwithgod.com. That's eatingwithgod.com. Discover the easiest, most enjoyable way to move from where you are with food today to where God wants you to be in His perfect time and way. There are free daily bite recordings available to you at www.eatingwithgod.com or you can purchase the entire set of Daily Bites, 31 individual daily MP3 words of encouragement, plus the book, Gasping for Grace, 31 daily devotionals for discouraged dieters. To start moving toward your God-given ideal weight, visit www.eatingwithgod.com. That's www.eatingwithgod.com. Welcome back. We are visiting today with Arlene Pelican, the co-author with Dr. Chapman of a book called Growing Up Social. We're talking about media-minded kids. And Arlene, what are some of the ways that a parent can model best practices when it comes to media? Yes, isn't that isn't that the truth? It's like, okay, I want my kids to do this, but oh, no, I've got to do this too. And I think right. philosophically, it's what the late Howard Hendricks said: you cannot, um, you cannot expect them to possess what you don't model yourself. 
So you've got to, first of all, model what does this mean to live digitally healthy? What does this mean to be able to turn off the phone at mealtimes without twitching, without not having to reach towards your phone? <laughs> you know, what does it mean to be able to take that day of Sabbath, one full day with no electronics, and be fine with it? So those kinds of things to model it for your kids. I think mealtimes is a wonderful time for everybody to unplug. So no TV in the background, no phone, uh, no tablets, and that's your conversation time. Try to choose restaurants that don't have screens in them. I know it can be challenging, but try to find a screen-free restaurant and be together. So that's a great place to start. Have a certain day of the week. Maybe it's Thursday night or Friday night where, okay, this is our weekly game night or this is our bike riding night or this is something where we do something totally screen-free. It could be a weekend where you say, okay, we don't play video games um, for the weekend. Or it could be the opposite, that you play um, video games on the weekend, but you don't play any video games in the on weekdays parents included you know so so have certain rhythms that you can really adopt as routine so it's not this thing where it's like oh this is so stressful we have to unplug but that it's oh this is part of the way the rhythm of our family works that friday night is screen time that screen free night or Sunday, we all take a break and, and really model that to your kids that you're okay with it too. And it really will give you the rest that you're desiring as well. Yeah. And it is true that if you have children who are already addicted or you have children who have very, uh, like say, locked in habit patterns with this already, you're going you're gonna to hit some resistance when you apply any kind of change here. Yes, and that's a good point is to, you know, with your teenagers, don't go crazy on them, but just try to maybe uh, some small tweaks that you say, you, you know, you note in your mind, wow, my child has their phone in their hand every moment of the day. And so you say, oh, you know what, on Thursday night, I want to take you out to yogurt or ice cream or whatever their favorite thing is, and um, we're going to make this where both of us leave our phones and we see if we survive. Like we go out to the yogurt place without our phones and we come back and let's just see if we can survive. And you just do these little things that could be steps towards disconnecting more and connecting emotionally with your teenager and make it as fun as possible for them. No, I loved part of what you said right there because a lot of us really have gotten just as addicted or maybe more than our children uh, to our devices where you're having a conversation and instead of looking at the person, you're looking down, looking at the text that came through or whatever. And start with your own self. Be honest with your kids that this is hard for me too. But do you really like it when you're talking to somebody and they're checking their text? I mean, it feels really bad. It feels bad to us as humans. We really long to just have a conversation with someone, and kids even long to have your undivided attention. And when you're constantly doing, if you will make an attempt to change yourself and invite them to join you as you improve your relationship with your handheld or your, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. desktop or whatever it is, um, that will be a huge thing. And I think that um, for parents who aren't aren't accustomed to being humble before their children, I can't even express how important it is to just let your children understand that you also struggle with things. If you always come off as really together and perfect to them, First of all, they can see right through that because kids, you know, kids can see right through right. that. So they don't believe it. Even if you think they do, they don't believe it. And then the other thing is they, they really can't take counsel from you unless you're being honest about your own frailties. And it's okay to do that. It's just okay to admit that and to be humble before them and before God and even before yourself. 
Yeah. And so as parents, we can make that commitment that if we're talking to our child and the phone rings or buzzes, that we can check it to see, you know, is this urgent? Is this a child that needs to get picked up right now or whatever? But if it's not, then you don't take it or you don't have to respond to that text right then and there. So that way your child doesn't always think, oh, whoever's on the phone is more important than me. And so you keep the eye contact with your child and you let the person on the phone wait instead of the other way around. And I think we have to communicate that verbally. In fact, this just happened to my husband and I the other night. We were right in the middle of an intense uh, project where we were doing a computer project at the restaurant. And um, we were right in the middle of it, and the phone rang. And um, it was actually my mom on the phone. Mm. And he saw it ringing, and he said, aren't you going to take that call? And I said, this would not be a good time for me to take this call. And I know it's not an emergency, so I'm going to just keep working with you. Well, that was a huge statement to him, even a husband, right. that this that this thing that you're asking me to help you with right now is more important, and I can call yeah. my mom back in a little while. You know, right. so and I think that we need to have a situation. You know, it's a little different now because we don't know when it's an emergency or when it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, but the reality is, there's multiple ways to reach us. You know, if it's an emergency, people will call two or three times back to back, or they will call and yeah. text. You know, I mean, it's like it's like you don't have to think every call might be an emergency. Right. We're, we really don't right. live there, and so don't don't use that as an excuse. Every call isn't an emergency. <laughs> Very right. few emergencies. We are not as we popular and needed as we thought. <laughs> oh my goodness! I think that's a huge part of it is that we've really become addicted to the idea that we are so needed in right. every way. You know, and it was astounding to me on Monday morning how needed I felt, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I could not, you know, and actually my list of things to do was very long, and it was very painful for me not to be able to go ahead and do those things that I knew other people needed to have done. But it was so important for me to rest. And we really, it's really okay. God can, God can do this thing. He can provide rest. He can provide a way for us to not be the center of attention or the needed one all the time, even for moms right. with little ones. I just encourage you. God has rest for you as well. So just seek his face and ask him how. Barlene, during the last few minutes here, let's talk about some things that families can do together. So, okay, great. We're going to shut off the devices. Now what? Now what? Right. Now we're going to stare at each other and then think, this isn't working. Let's go back to our devices. You know what? My my family of five, we do martial arts together. And what's really funny is how it started was our kids wanting to be involved. And then James, my husband, they he heard, oh, if you have three kids, you can you guys can come for free. And of course, he perked right up. Hmm. And so the five of us go and we dress up and we wear the uniforms. It's very humorous because there's not other parents in there. So it's really funny. And it clicked in. James is so fanatical about this martial arts. But we just realized this week that it's not because he loves kicks, punches, and wrestling. He loves having a family activity together. And when we dialed in on that, and that's why I do it too, and so for families to say, what's something we could all do together? And it obviously does not have to be martial arts, but it could be bike riding, it could be rollerblading, roller skating, it could be taking walks, it could be going collecting things out of thrift stores, it could be cooking together, it could be going, you know, whatever. It just think, is there something? It, it's probably not the favorite for everyone, but is there something that we as a family can do together? Free summer concerts in the park. What can we do together as a family? And let's do more of that. Um, what charities could we serve? Is there a place we could all volunteer uh, once a month? Is there a soup kitchen that we could serve food in? Um, do we want to have a game night? Friday night will be our 
family movie night or family game night. Um, what are things we can do? Maybe we're going to train for a half marathon together. I don't know what it is, but just rack your brains as a family. Maybe every member can make a list of 10 activities that they like, and then you put all the lists together and you probably will find one that maybe was on everybody's list. But the idea is what can we do to spend time together? And it doesn't have to be the thing that is so great, but it's you all spending time together, and that's what makes it really great. And these can be very small things, uh, you know, just after dinner that you just take one child and you walk around the block together and talk. It could be you take uh, one child out to breakfast, uh, to McDonald's, one day and you spend five bucks and there you are and the reason I say one child is that makes it kind of special and different that it's like you're one-on-one time with that kid and of course it can be everyone also but there are a lot of things that you can do that don't cost money that and don't have anything to do with screens that you can do with your kids I love that and I was thinking about um, when our kids were little we did a lot of time at the pool um, yeah. We would go to the pool a lot. Um, another thing that um, I did with our youngest son a lot, we, we called ourselves the sunset chasers. And whenever there was a cool sunset, he would come running in, Mom, it's a cool sunset. Oh. And grab the camera. Yeah. We'd go to somewhere where we could get a good shot of it. And it's amazing how fast sunsets fade. You only have just a couple minutes to get the peak of the sunset. But it was right. really fun. It was our thing together. And you can do these things. I was thinking, though, when you're first starting this, it's important to build in a rule. And, when you know, when you're an adult and you go into a business meeting, let's say it's a brainstorming meeting and everybody's going to throw out ideas, there's some rules there. We say things like, okay, this is a brainstorming meeting, and so what's going to happen here is that you're all going to have ideas and we aren't going to shut down anybody's ideas. No matter how crazy it sounds, nobody's going right. to say, well, that's stupid. You know, and right. as adults, we have to learn how to live by these rules and we can start teaching our kids these same rules. So let's say that this week we do you know, Susie's idea, well, we're not going to say how stupid this is. Now, at the right. end, we may decide it's not, it's not the family thing that we want to do every single week, but while we're doing it, we're going to be as polite about it as if we were with, you know, someone we really loved and respected, you know, who was taking yeah. us with on their thing. And if we teach these things to our children when they're doing events and activities that maybe aren't their number one thing in the world, uh, that that will carry with them into their adult life. And in the end, and I always tell parents this, in the end you are not raising children. You are raising adults. <laughs> they just happen to be children right now. So you yeah. have to think about how is this going to affect their whole life, these things that I'm modeling, these things that I'm teaching. And doing things with other people, even things that aren't our number one favorite thing to do, this is healthy. This is just learning how to be a person. Yeah, we've really elevated, like, the wants of our children. So our child wants uh-huh. screen time. Our child wants these things, so right. we give them to right. them. But so many times my husband has said, you know, in the summertime, I didn't get to choose what I wanted to do. My mom said, you're doing yard work. You're taking a sailing class. You're doing this. Right. And he's like, I didn't even oh. want to take a sailing class. I hated it, but then he loved it. But it's this idea that oh. we as parents, we can make these kinds of choices. Right, absolutely. One of the things that I encourage you to do is uh, use your use your devices in a creative way. So, for instance, maybe instead of going directly no devices, you might do something yeah. like we're going to go as a family and we're going to all take pictures. And right. then we're going to come back and we're going to look at each other's pictures and see what we captured and what we saw. And what yeah. you find is that different people saw different things at the park or at the, you know, uh, flower, you know, the, wherever right. you go. I mean, you'll you'll be amazed 
at the different perspectives in the people in your family, and your children will begin to see, oh, even though we're all holding these devices, we're seeing different things. And right. uh, we, we are different and unique. Oh, wonderful. Well, Arlene, do you have any final thoughts here for a parent who's listening with a child who's maybe addicted already? Do, to have that hope of those small changes do make a difference, and the compound effect is real. If your child is going the wrong direction every day, the, they're going to end up in a really, really bad place. But if you start getting them just even the tiniest bit that you even think this isn't making a difference, okay, so we took back meal times. If you can just get a small thing going, mm-hmm. it's gonna, it, it's like a steamroller. It'll keep going for you. So take those small steps that you know you need to take, and don't be afraid of the tears. Nobody's going to say, oh, Mom, thanks so much for correcting me on this. I could tell I was starting to be addicted. You know, no one, they're going to cry, they're going to fuss, they're going to scream, and you're going to think, I can't do this. But for you to stay strong, have courage, and make those small directional changes you know you need to make, because they will make a huge difference one, five, ten years down the line. Oh, absolutely. Such great advice. Well, you guys can go visit Arlene over at her website, arlenepelican.com, and be sure to check out her book, Growing Up. Thank you so much for being here, Arlene. Thank you so much, Marnie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay, and thanks, you guys, for being here. Can't have a show without listeners, and we always appreciate all of you showing up and to all of you who are listening to the archives or to the syndicated programs. Thank you for listening in, and we'll see you again next time. Have a great week. Bye-bye.